Hello, and welcome to The Ephemeral Machine, a podcast about collecting cameras. I'm your host, Michael Kaplan, and once again, we're coming to you from our studio on the beautiful campus of The Ohio State University in Columbus, Ohio. I was driving around taking care of some chores the other day, and I happened to be listening to the latest podcast from the Classic Camera Revival. It's an excellent podcast. They talk about uh, general ideas of photography, specific cameras, um, photographic styles. Uh, There's a lot of really great banter. Um, It's a lot of fun to listen to them, and they do a great job. And in this particular case, um, in in each episode, they focus on a specific topic or idea. And this particular topic happened to be workhorse cameras. And uh, these are essentially the cameras that, you know, you could really depend on when you're going out to shoot. These are the ones that you grab if you want to make sure that uh, everything's going to work when you load it with film and you step out into the world, start making some photographs. um, Everything seems to... Uh, no pun intended, click. Um, these are cameras like Nikons and Canons, Olympuses, SLRs, and things of that nature. Now, these are cameras that you would expect to function properly in this particular situation. <clears throat> and I have to say that listening to the gang talk about their cameras, it, it does instill you with uh, quite a bit of confidence. I mean, their enthusiasm and love of photography is so clear. And, um, you know, when you listen... Uh, you feel like going out there uh, with a camera and, and making some photographs. And when I was driving around thinking about this, I decided that that would be a lot of fun. So I headed home, and I uh, jumped out of my car. I went into the house, stepped into my camera room, and I was going to grab my workhorse camera, load it with film, and head out to the world to make some images. And I stood there looking around my camera room, And it was then that I realized something rather profound and certainly worth exploring. I was pretty sure that my cameras didn't understand their purpose. Now stay with me here. My cameras weren't workhorses. In fact, I wasn't even sure that they were cameras. Many of them never came close to a roll of film. Many didn't work, and some worked with questionable authority. So what were they? What did they represent? If I didn't use them to make photographs, then why did I have them? I walked over to a specific shelf and I picked up a a beautiful, pristine Zorky 5 with a nice collapsible Industar 50 lens. And I held it in my hand and I turned it over and I admired its design. It's a really beautiful camera. Uh, It has the uh, unusual red Solex script that is so uncommon with uh, Soviet-manufactured cameras. I felt its heft, I looked at its quality of build, and as I considered this this fine piece of gear that I was holding, I was also cognizant of the fact that in the five or so years that I've owned this Zorky 5, it has never made a photograph, and there was a very good chance that it never might. I put it back on the shelf, and I looked at it, and then I looked at all my other cameras. What were these things? What were their purpose? I decided to explore these concepts further because, essentially, they were nagging at me. I I, I really wanted to maybe dive a little deeper, try to understand, you know, what was going on here. 
and I thought I might engage the support of somebody who might be able to help me wrangle through some of the nuances and intricacies of these ideas. When we return, The Existential Camera, a conversation with Hamish Gill. We're back, and you're listening to The Ephemeral Machine, a podcast about collecting cameras. This episode, we move off on a slight tangent, and I explore some of the more profound mediations on the camera and the collection with the help of Mr. Hamish Gill. Welcome, Hamish, to The Ephemeral Machine, and thanks so much for being here. Yeah, absolutely fine. Very interesting. I've been listening to your uh, more recent one uh, uh, episode, and it's, uh, yeah, I, I totally understand totally on board with a lot of the things you've been talking about so well uh thanks for taking time to be here today um you know some of the things that i've sort of been wrestling with and um you know i looked i I reached out to you because um i you know read quite a bit from 35 mmc and um, honestly as much as i enjoy the the essays on the photographic process and the camera reviews um i really enjoy the sort of the essays on uh, what I guess I call the mediations on photography and, um, you know, the more um, theoretical and um, philosophical um, uh, sort of uh, outlook on the process. Um, so I thought I would reach out to you. And also, I have to admit, I don't know what you're going to think about this, but I did listen to every episode of uh, the podcast that you did with M. And um, after listening to it, I realized that, um, you know, perhaps you might be able to help me kind of uh, assimilate some of the ideas that I'm trying to put forward in this podcast uh, as, as sort of an overall notion. So um, thanks for being here. Um, I, I guess my first, my first issue is, um, and, and, and again, I, I say it's more of a philosophical one. Um, is, is a camera a camera, you know, only if it's loaded with film? And, and this sounds sort of um, like humorous, uh, but I'm, I'm actually serious about this because, you know, I've run into um, photographers and I've listened to podcasts who, um, you know, a camera only exists in their collection if they, if they use it, if they shoot with it. And I wonder about that position, that particular posture. And um, having exposure to so much content that passes by you, I'm wondering what your perspective is on this particular idea. So, yeah, I suppose from my perspective, there is there are two very distinct hobbies, and I and I think you know the, the sort of photography versus cameras to sort of simplify it slightly, hobby, uh, sort of hobbies, that, 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 that kind of notion seems to, seems to rub people up the wrong way. And I don't really understand why. There's so many people who are like, you know, have this kind of view that um, being interested in cameras automatically um, requires the sort of... Um, you know that to be a, a photographic or always a photographic process uh, uh, attached to that but they are cameras are very interesting um objects and examples of industrial design and 
um, thought process. And of course, the end goal for a camera is to take a photo. Um, but looking at the object from the perspective of how has this been designed to kind of aid in that process or how has this been designed to push the photographer in a particular direction when using this particular type of camera. Um, and the funny thing is about sort of one of the things that makes film cameras, I think, more interesting than a lot of digital cameras, the majority of digital cameras, is that film cameras seem to come from a design ethos of that they, certainly a lot of them, didn't have to be everything to everyone, you know, and, and um, take rangefinders, for example. Rangefinders is a very good example of a type of camera that just isn't very good at a lot of stuff, but it is good at some stuff. Mm-hmm. And the types of photographers that use rangefinders tend to be the types of photographers that do the stuff that they're good at. <laughs> and, and I think that I'm sort of oversimplifying, but that's, I think that's quite an interesting um, sort of subject to be interested in without necessarily having to be having to go out taking photos every single day with every single one of your cameras, if you see right. what I mean. And, and, um, and this, is, this is where, you know, 35OMC, I talked about cameras. I talk about cameras endlessly on there, or have done in the past, um, you know, and, and I invite people to talk about their experiences with cameras. Yes, taking photos, but their experiences with cameras, be they positive or negative, um, because I think that it's an interesting, it's an interesting subject. Like industrial design is an interesting subject. Um, and, and funny enough, I'm not actually interested in the industrial designers. You know, I know a couple of industrial designers who design cameras. But I'm not really interested in, you know, oh, so-and-so from Olympus designed this camera, this camera, and this camera. That's not interesting to me. What's interesting to me is how, when I pick up X camera, does it impact on how I shoot? And is how and and is that um, appropriate to my shooting style? I suppose. And even in, sorry, I'm waffling a bit, but the, 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 when you sent me some of the some of the conversations that we were talking about, that you wanted to, uh, some of the things you wanted to talk about during this conversation, there's two cameras that always come to mind when I think about this topic, and that's the Rolly 35 and the Rolly 35 SE or TE. You know, they're the same camera, just one has a light meter on the top of the camera and one has a light meter in the viewfinder of the camera. But apart from that, they're basically the same. But if you go out and use those two cameras, they force you to use them in a totally different way. And it's a totally different shooting experience. And one is quite fiddly and sort of fingery and one isn't. And it's, and they're the same, they look the same, but they function so differently because of one design choice. And you think if that's one design choice just on one camera that's basically the same, you take that and compare it to a, a Petri Color 35, for example, you, you have to shoot that camera in an entirely different way. And that's interesting, I mm-hmm. think. It, it is. And I've, I've heard um, you, you um, speak about the notion, and, and actually this is with um, that, um, you know, when you look at a photograph, in a gallery or an exhibition, um, what comes to mind is the aesthetic of the photograph mm. um, and everything that sort of went into 
perhaps the intent, if you even want to go that far. Uh, mm -hmm. But there's never a notion as to what camera was used to make that photograph. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think that's interesting. But um, here's, I guess my problem is, is that I always wonder what camera made mm -hmm. that photograph. And um, that's simply um, due to the fact that, um, you know, I sort of deconstruct things as I look at them. And I try to sort of collate a, a lot of information into one place. And um, I see the camera as um, sculptural, for one yeah. thing. Um, it has a particular aesthetic. Um, for me, a camera um, is a camera, even if you don't go out and shoot with it. And I know a lot of collectors only have cameras in their collections that they shoot with. And, and I understand that. And that is, you know, certainly a, a, a choice. Um, but I, I find that I am drawn to um, having cameras on my shelf because I'm attracted to the way they look and to what they represent in terms of photographic history. So I think there's a few, there's a few bits of that, that, that to unpick. And I'd say probably the first one is that if you look at a photo and you're interested in um, the camera that it was taken with, that's because you have an interest in cameras. Um, I think my point when I was talking to M is that, you know, the, the massive majority of people, um, you know, we, we engage with photography all day, every day, essentially. Do you know what I mean? Any time that, you know, I can look around and see photos all over my house. Um, you know, you pick up a magazine, it's filled with photography. You go on Facebook or social media, it's filled with photography, be it by photographers or just people who are taking snaps, um, you know, on iPhones or whatever. And in the massive majority of those situations, but in all of those situations to the massive majority of people looking at those images, the, the camera that it was taken with is totally irrelevant. Like it's just, it does not matter at all. And I think this is where kind of, we're quite odd, I think, as, as and one of, the, one, of, one of the reasons why this argument keeps happening or this conversation keeps happening is that, you know, to, it's to a much lesser degree do artists care about their brushes. Mm -hmm. You know, we as photographers, a lot of us do care about our cameras because they are interesting objects. Um, and if you're a photographer that has an interest in, in cameras, um, yes, you might look at photos and think what well, that was taken with, but actually you're, a t you're the exception to, and, 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 and in a tiny minority. Mm -hmm. um, and that doesn't, that's not to you know, sort of denigrate that perspective at all. It is just, you know, if you're interested in cameras, then yeah, of course you might be interested in, in, in the camera that the photo was taken with. And you're, you know, that's, that's, you're entirely entitled to, to be interested in that camera. Right. And I, I'm fully aware that it's, it's certainly the, the minority. And, um, you know, I, I, I only speak of that because that is sort of an overwhelming feeling that I have because I'm so attached to, you know, the camera itself as a, as a, a representative icon. So when I, you know, the, so the, 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 the flow is basically, I look at the photograph and I, look at the photographer and if I know something about the photographer, I wonder about their equipment. And if I wonder about their equipment, I wonder about the history. And, you know, so there's this thread that sort of takes me down this funnel and mm. I don't know whether that's good or bad. I, I, I don't I, think, it, I, 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 I don't think it is. And I think that's the, that's the problem with this conversation is that too much, um, too much is attached to the idea 
that certain ways of thinking are good or bad. Do, do you know what I mean? Like, you know, mm-hmm. you get you get photographers who are like, well, oh, the camera doesn't matter. It's just a tool. And it's like, well, hang on a minute. That's your opinion. Mm-hmm. Like my cameras mean something to me. Like I enjoy them as objects outside of my ability to take photos with them because I'm interested in the industrial design or whatever I might be interested in you know, the mechanical construction of it or whatever it is, that's my hobby. And that's, and I have every right to have that hobby. And I have every right to understand or appreciate that object for reasons that, you know, a million people might, might not. And there's, I think we live in this weird world. This is probably, you know, some of the rants that I've had on the, the, the podcast with them when we were doing it is that, you know, we live in this weird world where so much, uh, we've, you know, there's so much, there's so much, nuance lost um and in photography that seems to come out in this idea that you know my well my opinion is the the opinion and you know that approach is wrong and this and my approach is wrong you know this is so you know i'm very much wrapped up in the digital world of photography mentally at the moment because i've been reviewing and talking about the pixie which is this um french um rangefinder digital rangefinder that's come out relatively recently um and, and, and so many people are absolutely aghast at this idea of this French rangefinder that, you know, you can t- attach to your mobile phone and you take a photo with it and it's got no screen on the back. You take a photo with it and the photo appears on your mobile phone and people are like, absolutely, you know, up in arms. Why would I want that? And it's like, if you're asking the question, why would I want that? Then it's not for you. Right. Move on. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> it's for people who like the idea of that. And that is the same with everything within photography. That, you know, I don't use a, I don't print in the dark room. Um, I'm, you know, an entirely hybrid process photographer. I take photos, I send them to um, be processed uh, by a lab, and I give the lab the instruction that when they scan them, I want them to scan them flat, and so I can put them into Lightroom on my computer, and I can digitally process them to what to look whatever I like. Now, some people would be horrified at that. Well, that's not analog. That most that's basically digital. Why don't you just shoot digital in the first place? I'm like because I just want to shoot film. I just like to shoot it in this way. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. This is just what I enjoy doing. Why is what I enjoy doing when it's something to do with photography so wrong um, to some people? I, you know, I give everybody else the freedom to conduct themselves with their sure. photography exactly as they see fit. And mm-hmm. if you like to look at photos and think that what photo was that taken with, uh, what camera was that taken with, then that's your hobby and that's what you enjoy. And, and I absolutely, you know, would say that that's that's not fine it's beyond fine it's it's good because it's what makes you happy right. it's the weird it's the weird thing about all of this i think fundamentally you know fundamentally is that these these conversations as i say they get to this point of right or wrong or kind of this or that when actually it's it, it, it's the one it's the beauty of photography it's mm-hmm. so infinite in its um capacity to give us enjoyment from you know cameras all the way through to and just looking at pictures. I, I agree. I mean, the, you know, the, 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 the entirety of, of photography, you know, has always um, sort of kept me connected um, in communication and in um, art and aesthetics. Um, I, I'm going to um, direct you specifically back to I'm sort of going to hold you in place because <laughs> I want to um, talk about the camera. Um, yeah in and of itself um you know if you go through uh, facebook there's a multitude of facebook groups that are about uh, camera hardware um mm-hmm. and and if you look at their rules they say hardware only no no yeah. photography yeah I um 
What, what is it about that, that need to, um, you know, we call it, we have names for it. We call it, you know, a camera porn and so on and so forth. So that there's this sort of innate desire to be looking at, um, you know, these uh, icons. What, you, what about it? I mean, what connects us to wanting to look at, um, you know, these things that we collect? Is it a desire to have them or build our collections or just to sort of um, embrace the idea that they exist? I think it's a lot of these things, isn't it? I think that it, it's all of them. I mean, that's kind of the point of what I was saying before. I mean, you know, um, why do I like looking at cameras? I suppose it's probably the easiest question to answer. It's funny. I, I've got, I, I, will, I will get back to your question. I've gone off on, I've got to a stage with my appreciation for photography and cameras where I don't get gas anymore at all, really. I mean, I recently bought, I've, I've bought probably one or maybe two cameras in the last six months. And at one point I was churning through them like that, you know, like nobody's business. So I think at one stage it was about feeding the gear acquisition syndrome monster for me, you know, I'd scroll through endless images on Instagram, looking at, you know, weird and wonderful cameras, um, you know, learning more about the different cameras that I found. To a lesser or greater degree, I've kind of got over that now. I'm not as interested in um, uh, sort of having or owning or seeking out endless cameras, but I still... I still like looking at them. I'm trying to think why. I'm trying to understand why. Maybe it's just habit. <laughs> they are just they are just interesting objects. I think fundamentally, aren't they? And, and they're all so you know they are all so different. I mean, I bought a Contax one three nine. It turned up yesterday, and um, I really like it. It's like a really good. It's a really good camera, and it's really. I find it really interesting that I can really like that camera that is essentially electronic and automated in on a on a fairly basic level and also like the Raleigh 35 mm-hmm. and also like the you know a Leica uh, M3 or whatever um and I can kind of dip into that and think well I like you know I like the Raleigh 35 because um, you know, it lets me shoot this certain way. But actually, I think that, you know, fundamentally they are just nice things, aren't they? They just, they just, mm-hmm. they are just nice things. They're nice objects. They have, there is a satisfaction in them. I have the same with my car. I'm like I've got a, an old 30-year-old car. I'm sort of slowly trying to learn how to make not as rubbish as it was. And you know, I just look at it, like I look at pictures mm-hmm. of cars on on and I don't and I, I and I scroll actually this is pro- probably quite an interesting analogy i scroll through pictures of cars all the time and i don't look at them thinking oh, i want that car now i want that car now i'm happy with the car that i've got in the garage um but i still like looking at them right I, I can appreciate that, that 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 analogy except that you know certainly a camera that you see on instagram is attainable potentially yes, yeah. um you know within an hour of you desiring it rather than you know a, a brand new car but i do understand um the the analogy and i think it's an appropriate one you know i i i want to kind of put something out here right now and I'm, I'm sort of looking at the shelf in front of me it's it's i'm in my camera room 
And um, this is a shelf that sort of cameras sit when I'm looking for space to place them where they should be because I'm like that. Mm. Um, so I'm going to sort of just list off the cameras that are here in a row. Um, I've got a, a Brownie box camera. I've got a Yashica 44, a Canon EF, a King Regula 3B, a Zeiss Icon Contessa, an Agfa Ambi Select, and a Lordomat rangefinder. Now, there are one, two, seven completely disparate cameras. They, ha they almost have nothing to do with one another. And yet, each one I embrace completely. And when I look at them, you know, I, I can only think that I look at them the way that my wife looks at pottery or at art that we have around our house. You know, I, I find them to be, um, as I said, sculptural. Mm -hmm. There's an aesthetic quality to each one of them. They're all uniquely different. <clears throat> um, I could easily go on a year and never shoot with any of them mm -hmm. and still walk into this room every day and look at them, pick them up, trigger the shutters, look at the lenses, and then put them back on the shelf and go on my way. Do, do you think it's interesting that there's a kind of, I mean, it always strikes me as unusual that more people don't recognize the fact that as photographers, we are innately interested in the in, in the aesthetic, you know, in the, in the visually pleasing. So surely it comes as no surprise that we would be interested in visually appealing objects that have been designed by people who have uh, training, a capacity to, ability to design things that look good. I mean, part of, part of the purpose of industrial design is to make an object desirable. So of course they look good. Of course we're going to be attracted to the way, we look, way they look. They've been designed to be attractive to us and we're people who are innately attracted to things that are aesthetically pleasing because we're photographers. It's mm -hmm. what, we, what we do. So yeah, it, that, it, that seems obvious to me. And, and that makes perfect sense. I mean, the, the aesthetic is what, is what draws me to them and, and, and everything that the industrial design, and then with each camera, the history and any connections that I make with um, in that area. I, I just think it's, it's fascinating that, um, you know, there are photographers who limit their collections, and I understand why. There's economic reasons, and plus there's space reasons, plus there's there's pragmatic reasons. You know, they they want to shoot with what they have, and with what they have, they <clears throat> they want to shoot with. Um, and and I think somewhere along the lines, I mean, I, and I also know that there are collectors who collect cameras that don't shoot. Mm. Um, so that there's sort of that other extreme which is, I think, fascinating as well. And, and there are some of, some of those collectors I'm going to be speaking with in, in future episodes. Um, and then there are collectors like Vladislav Kern, who I call an archivist, who yeah. collect cameras in order to maintain a history and a, a recognition of a particular um, construct. Mm. Um, and then um, I find that there are collectors who um, specifically collect cameras because 
um, they feel an innate connection to them because of how they felt when they first saw them or a particular photographer used them or something like that. So, yeah. you know, there's a, a realm of sort of approaches to the way that we um, look at a camera and say, I want that camera, I'm going to acquire that camera. Mm. I have a pull in both directions. So my camera connection at the moment is probably slightly smaller than it's been for a while. Certainly the amount of cameras in my cabinet are less than they've been, less than it's been for a while because as I was saying, I've not, I've not bought a camera for a while, but I've actually carried on selling them. Um, So of course I've got less. And this tends to happen when I go through a phase of, I suppose, feeling more interested in taking pictures and less interested in the cameras themselves. Mm -hmm. But it will flip and I'll go the other way. And all of a sudden I'll be more interested in cameras and less interested in the, the the taking pictures. So my camera collection constantly goes up and down. But when it gets too much, when it gets too big, I get this sort of sense of, um, like I live in a very like there's we have a lot of stuff in our house in mine and my wife's house we have a lot of stuff but it was all it all has its place like and I, that's the type of person I am everything has to have its place and if I get to a stage where I've got a camera in my collection that doesn't feel like it has a place in my collection then it has to go mm-hmm. and that might be because I've got too many manual focus mechanical SLRs and you know, for example, I've got for sale at the moment my Olympus OM1, which I've ever not, not actually ever shot, not actually ever shot. I bought it because, well, somebody offered it to me and it was a good price. And I was like, I can't say no to that because it's Olympus OM1 and I've not had one of those before. And I thought I might shoot it. I didn't shoot it because actually I get more enjoyment out of my Pentax MX or um, actually, a, a Shinon C4, I think, I, that I bought was earlier on in the year, which is a fantastic, yeah, um, I have one, a fantastic camera. Mm-hmm. Um, so at that point, there's no place for the OM1, so it's gone. Well, it's been mm-hmm. set on the website. It's um, so uh, you know, and I and I feel that I get to the stage where I feel like, well, okay, I've got too many now. I need to take some out because it, it's um, it feels like an excess to me. Mm-hmm if you see what I mean. So I think in that way, you know, I'm perhaps quite, I'm just a, I'm just a type of camera. Right. And, and, you know, I can, I I can certainly identify with that. I mean, when I, when I look around, you know, my room, there are certain cameras that you, you sense don't fit. Um, For instance, I'm actually in the process of selling a Voigtlander Bessa L um, Mm. with a, the 25 millimeter F4 lens. Um, and the reason I'm selling it is because first, I don't shoot with it that often. And second, and this is going to sound maybe crazy to some people, um, it doesn't fit in my mm. collection. It, uh, do you know, I've had that combination of camera and lens three times, <laughs> I think. Because <laughs> on paper, you think, well, it's, that's great. That mm-hmm. like, that, that 25 mil, the snapshot lens, you've got those stops for focus stops. Oh, yeah. That's a really cool idea. Viewfinder. Uh, viewfinder, you've got the light meter on the top surface. Mm-hmm. In theory, I feel like I could really get along with that. And then I get it and use it, and I'm like, well, this doesn't really engage me. Well, um, as I said, I'm trying to sell it, so let's let's support it a little bit and say it's a fantastic <laughs> camera. 
Um, <laughs> it's brilliant. It is yeah, brilliant. It is. It is a really nice camera. And, and I, I, I understand where you're coming from uh, with that. Um, and oddly enough, you know, when I look around my room, it, it just simply doesn't fit. So um, I decided to, to see if I could let it go and maybe uh, find some other cameras that fit better. I'll tell um, you what, a bit of gas and I'll tell you what I've now have in place of that as that type of camera um i got myself a, a leica um 1c so the leica once the later leica 1c which is the um the one that came along this at the same time as the 3c um and it's got two um cold shoes on the top mm. um and it doesn't have a slow speed dial um and it doesn't have a viewfinder so, but I, that wasn't quite right for me. So I bought one and then had it modified. So I removed one of the cold shoes off the top and I've had the slow speed dial attached to the front of it. Um, and I've had it painted black because, you know, why not? <laughs> um, and that is actually now, because I realized, I think when I, that Bessarel type shooting, I'm shooting in a way that I want the object to feel like ultra simple. Like it doesn't have any superfluous stuff at all. Mm-hmm. And as it is now, it is literally a box with a shutter in it and a viewfinder slotted onto the top and a lens screw to the front. And it, it is as simple as you can possibly get. Um, even to the point of, as I say, having that second cold shoe removed off the top, because that just felt superfluous. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I could, I could understand where that would be quite attractive to have out, out there just shooting something simple like that without a lot of um, sort of fuss uh, yeah. involved. And yet, um, you know, oddly enough, uh, a good portion of my collection uh, um is exacta cameras which are perhaps um notoriously difficult to operate simply because of ergonomics and yet that doesn't even that's not even an issue for me i mm. mean i love exacta cameras because of the way that they look mm. i love their design um and i'll continue to collect them and and here's here's another sort of tangential sort of direction that, that i'd like us to go in um this this notion of of acquiring to fill sort of a void in the collection. Mm. And I don't know how many people, I I think maybe hardcore collectors feel this rather than more sort of traditional shooter collectors. But, um, you know, I have Topcon cameras and um, I wrestled with an an eBay auction of a Topcon R um, because I didn't have it. And it was actually, I'm sorry, it was a, a Topcon B, uh, Bessler Topcon B. Now, I have a Bessler Topcon C, okay? Those cameras are almost identical, except for the fact that the Topcon C has auto aperture and the Topcon B does not. Mm. And it, it was a sort of a monumental task to pull me away from that auction, simply because of the fact that I wanted the, 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 the next step in filling my collection. Mm. So I, I, you know, I realized that this might, I might have actually a problem, um, <laughs> but I, I found That's... it so interesting that, you know, the slight variance, and this is something that I, I talked to Vladislav Kern about because that's, it's all about variance with him. So I looked at that and I thought, well, I'm being completely irrational. This is ridiculous. These two cameras are almost identical, except one says B, one says C. One has a little extension on the on the ca- on the lens. That's it. And and I let it go, but it was 
it was hard. <laughs> and um, I think that um, I think there's a I think there is something in human nature there that you know we, we it's funny, isn't it? Because we are you you said I think I might have a problem, and it is you know people do sort of refer to this. I see. I funny enough, I saw it on one of the camera collecting groups just yesterday somebody posted a picture of a, you know, a, a shelf, a, a, a sideboard just completely covered in cameras and, you know, made that joke. It's almost a cliche joke. Oh, I think I've got a problem. It's like, well, there's, if you take, um, I don't know if you have them over the States, I'm sure you do. Oh yeah, no, I know you do. Like um, you have basketball cards over there, don't you? Uh, baseball cards, even. Mm -hmm. you know, in the UK we have, you know, sticker books we had in the, when I was a kid, I grew up with, and I didn't, I wasn't interested in them, but people would, buy the sticker book for that year's um, football season or whatever. Oh, sure. And you would buy, and you would go out and you would buy the sticker book packs that you didn't know which stickers were in them. And you'd keep buying the sticker packs until mm -hmm. you collected them all um, and, and filled it in every gap in the sticker book. And, and it's the same with, you know, Pokemon, you know, the, 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 their thing is you've got to collect Pokemon, you collect them all or whatever. I can't remember the exact words, are. you know, companies market to that type of mentality because they know it exists. You know, they know that people have this sense to complete things and to, you know, have all of the thing, whatever that thing happens to be. So I don't think that's a problem. I just think, you know, it is just part of part of human nature. It's a problem if like gambling, you end up spending right. all your money on it and you end up destitute or alcohol, you end up drinking your, mm -hmm. your money away. You know, if you manage it and you can hold down a job and you can hold down a relationship and you don't fill your entire house with cameras to the point that your wife walks out or whatever, you know, is, is it a problem? Does it cause arguments? Well, no, it's not a problem. It's only a problem when it becomes a problem. And, right. you know, it's yeah, I, I guess I was I was sort of using it symbolically, um, but I, I like that analogy to the to the collecting of uh, baseball cards, which I did as a young boy, and I, I I know exactly what you're talking about. I mean, that's why you stand there with your your friends and you trade in order to to get everybody on that particular team or so on yeah. and so forth. Um, and and yeah, I can I can see that sort of connected in 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 the, in the way of acquisition. Um, you know, I think that you know when I look at a camera. And I understand that there's some variance or some variable. Um, I'm more interested in the history of that camera and why that that change took place. Mm. Um, and for some reason, I feel like having it in my collection um, will, you know, make it more complete. Mm. Um, so it, it's an it's an interesting idea. Um, you know, we, we talk about cameras and I, and, and I know that camera collectors love to talk about cameras. Um, and one of the reasons why I started the ephemeral machine is because, um, it was selfish. Basically. Um, I wanted my own podcast so that I could essentially talk about cameras and yeah. talk to collectors whenever I wanted to. Um, and, and I, I found that, um, it was inordinately difficult to get people to talk about the camera without talking about the process. Mm. Um, and basically for me, and I'm just going to kind of lay this out. I sort of broke this whole thing down. And for me, there's what I call the apparatus, which is essentially this entire idea of photography. It includes everything, the entire, all the components. And then um, 
I have the camera, which is the thing that sort of executes the process using whatever technology is available. And that could be anything from pinhole to the camera dactyl to, to anything. Um, then there's the actual act of photography, which, which for me is the steps involved in taking the camera, putting the film in, winding the film, and then going out there and looking for whatever it is that you want to photograph. Um, and it can be a process that doesn't use a camera. It can be photograms. It can be man rays work or direct contact printing, something along those lines. All that for me is the act. And then finally, there's the, the actual process, which is the formulaic science involved, where you know the silver halide particles are excited and the processing takes place and you finally have that photograph and, or that the digital representation of the photograph. But, but excuse me, but for me, when I look at photography, I, I break it down into those three sections. And, um, and, and I'm going to sort of put that out there for, for you while I sort of collect more of my thoughts. <laughs> yeah. I suppose it's more simple for me. It's just, it is just, for me, it's, it's, it's cameras, that hobby that does something for me. That's usually when I'm sat on the sofa in the evenings looking on the internet or it's photography, which is going out, taking pictures, then processing them and getting the satisfaction of the creation of the images, sharing them on the internet, putting them in books. It's that's as simple as it is for me. Like I don't, mm -hmm. and one is a, one is a kind of, an indoors exercise, I suppose. And one is an outdoors exercise, I suppose. That's as easy as I can explain it, I think. And it means that I can, you know, if you look at photography as a whole, it means I can do it kind of whenever or, mm -hmm. you know, I can, you know, whilst we're watching whatever rubbish television in the mm -hmm. evening, I can, I can be, I can be enjoying a, a hobby. And also when I'm out going for a walk with a dog or the kids or, I can enjoy a, a hobby then as well. Oh, sure. And I, and I, and I can certainly appreciate that. And, and I, that's one of the things that, that I find so attractive about photography as a whole is that it's, it can be very spontaneous or, 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 and it, you just connect with it on a mm. sort of a visceral level. But I, I think what fascinates me is, you know, we in this sort of community, regardless of the size of how many cameras we have in our collections, we all have more than one camera to shoot with. Mm. And theoretically, really all you need to, to engage in the act of photography is a single camera. Mm. Um, and yet we have more than one. So when it comes down to it, what exactly is the process involved in a photographer's mind that says, I'm going to choose this camera to go out and shoot with. And I know that there's ergonomics and things like that involved, but what compels a photographer to look at a collection? I mean, okay, so I have now probably 300 cameras in my collection. And if I'm going out to shoot with one of them, you can imagine how difficult it is for me to choose what camera. Mm. Yet somehow I manage to, to focus in on one specifically, take it, load it with film and off I go. Yeah, so that's that's why I think I have to have in my collection not too many 
duplicates in terms of cameras that do basically the same thing. Because if I've got two semi-automated SLRs with that take manual focus lenses, mm-hmm. well, my brain goes to the cabinet and goes, oh, which one do I fancy shooting? And then, I, and then I've got to actually think about it. Whereas actually, if I remove that choice, I go to the camera cabinet quite often knowing that today I want to shoot with a type of camera that suits the mood on the day. And I think it literally just comes down to the, the mood on the day. I was walking around yesterday with my new Contax 139 in one pocket with a 45 mil lens and a um, Minox 35 EL, I think it is, in the other pocket. And when I was walking around with it yesterday, I could not give a monkeys about the, the Minox. It's not interesting to me at all. And it's not just because the Contax is new. It's just that what I got from the Contax was exactly what I needed on that day. That's exactly suited my desires from a camera um and it's the same you know it's exactly the same when it comes to film versus digital you know people people get you know hung up on which is better or which is whatever well, it doesn't mean it doesn't even enter my mind someday i'll go to the cabinet and think oh i fancy shooting a roll of ilford xp2 which is something else i've been feeling recently i can't pick up a digital camera and shoot an ilford roll of xp2 but other days i might think well actually today i know i'm going to be taking photos of my kids so i want really good autofocus actually, I want really good autofocus and I want to know that the photos have come out well. So mm-hmm. I'll take a digital, I'll take my Sony a7R3, or, sorry, a7 III because it's got good autofocus and I can see the photo on the back straight away. Like there's a million different kind of thought processes that, you know, going back to that, that Leica 1C, I'll take that out. I quite often take that out when I'm going, I take that on holiday with me quite often or whatever version of that camera I've had in my collection on holiday with me because I like taking photos with that on the beach because somehow that just fits in my head. I don't explain that. It doesn't matter. It's just, it's just what fits. So, you know, I think, you know, when we go to our camera cabinet or shelf and we pick up something instinctually, well, I just, I just think, just go with it, you know, why go against it? And that's, that's, I think why going back to, again, that point about wanting to have a camera collection that has what almost one of each type of camera in my cabinet. Um, where that's where I'm comfortable because I can just go to the camera cabinet and go, I want that with that, that camera with that lens. That's what fits my mood today. And that's why I can own both 35, Raleigh 35, a Raleigh 35, the original Tessar lens and a Raleigh 35 SE, because although they look exactly the same, going to back my original point, an earlier point, I look at those two cameras and think, oh, I don't want to shoot the SE because I don't like the fact it's got a great big blinking red light in the viewfinder. I'm going to shoot with the, well, sometimes I just like the fact that the, that the SE just works the way it does. So, mm-hmm. one of the things that that I um, I've sort of been working around, and I'm 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 trying to to write uh, on this because I, th- I think it's at least it's interesting for me, and I know you've talked about this with M, um, that the, a particular camera for me fits the notion of the act of photography better than any other camera that's been produced. Uh, perhaps in the past two decades. Um, and you can brace yourself because this is going to throw a lot of people, but I think the Yashica Y35 for me embodies the notion of the act of photography better than any other camera because, because it, what it represents, and I said this, I kind of spoke about this in my first podcast, was that it represents a, a, 
what I call a simulacra or a representation of the act of, of taking a camera, putting film into it and shooting with it because of all of the particular components that are involved in creating this, um, you know, particular act, the, the opening of the camera, you know, each one of these digital cassettes replicates a specific um, film speed or an aesthetic. You put that into the camera and you have to advance the film like, and I know there's an Epson digital camera where you have to do that. Um, and through that process, you know, the results are terrible. I know they are. This is what I've heard. And the camera is, is poorly constructed in all of this. For me, that doesn't matter because I'm looking at the camera now and I'm deconstructing it. And it says to me that if they were going to create a camera digitally that replicates the act of analog photography, this, there could be no better representation of that simply because of those individual components. Uh, when I first saw it, I thought it was uh, fascinating that these individual cartridges represented specific film stocks, aesthetics, you know, things like that. And that you could then sort of pull all this together and create a functional act where it takes you to the next step, I found engaging. Now, I, I would never purchase this camera um, or use it, but I would love to tap into that deeper and sort of write something that expands on this notion that the camera itself can function independently of everything else, not only sculpturally, not only as a design artifact, not only as an historical artifact, but in this particular case, as a sort of a postmodern um, representation of an act which we attribute to the, the choice of camera, the choice of film, and then that process ends, mm. and we move on to the next step. And, and I, I know that I've talked about me making that distinction before, um, but I, I, for some reason I can't step away from that. Mm. It, it, it kind of works in that way. And perhaps that's why, you know, my collection continues to grow. I, you know, I've been a film photographer for 45 years. Um, photography has been a part of my life since I was 15. And I think through the, through time, I have just sort of whittled it down to a place where I can make these delineations. Mm. And, um, you know, I just, I, I think it's interesting to look at the different facets of photography and try to um, get a larger perspective over where a camera sits, where a film stock sits, where a developer sits, and where the experience of actually taking the picture sits. Mm. Yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I mean, it is... It, I suppose the different perspectives are how much as individuals we choose to kind of separate those things from each other, um, if that makes any sense. So, you know, I, as I've said, you know, my sort of separation of think the way I kind of, the extent to which I choose to think about it that way is that just separation from camera to or camera hobby to photography hobby i suppose mm -hmm. um i think beyond that i kind of just almost see it as a 
there's a beautiful mess of stuff, I guess. <laughs> if that makes any sense. Right. Uh, and I, I, it makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, I, I realize that my, my distinctions are, are very acute. And, um, you know, as I said before, I'm, I'm certain that I'm, I'm in the minority, but I, I think it connects to, you know, a lot of different ways in which we appreciate photography on an aesthetic level. Mm. Um, you know, and, you know, um, also at an historical level, uh, I, I can't help but think that, you know, we make different assumptions about a photograph that, um, you know, a famous photographer has taken, um, and I, like Brisson or Margaret Bourke White or, or <laughs> Ansel Adams, um, versus a photog a photograph that is sim simply hangs in a gallery and, and the photographers is, is named, but unknown necessarily. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, um, in my third episode, I, I interviewed um, Anthony Rue, and I called him an auteur, um, which is odd because that's really a, a term that's used for for cinema. And and the reason I use that term is because he was telling me about the the cameras that he included in his collection, based on an innate desire to connect with a particular style of photography, and mm. a signature look. And when I thought about that, I thought about the directors who have particular signature looks like Hitchcock, like Wells, Sam Fuller, to name a, a few. Um, I always think of. Right. So I, I you know, I, so I, I kind of made that assumption and I, and I made that claim. Um, and it helped me to sort of expand on this idea that the camera could be separated in some way, shape, or form from other parts of this process. Um, and, and it sort of brought me back to where I needed to talk this through, <laughs> which is why I said, hey, I'm going to see if Hamish will talk to me about this. Um, and, 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 and I think it's, it's, it's interesting because, you know, I think that there are people who sort of fall in, in an area in the middle, in sort of a gray area where they look at the camera and the photography, the process all as one. Um, and then there are the multitude of collectors who choose a camera and go out and shoot and enjoy that experience. And then there's that sort of narrow niche that say, you know, I'm collecting this camera because this camera is a, a, a discrete object for me, separate from everything else. Yeah. I think I did listen to some, I've listened to some of the, the one with Anthony Rue. Um, and that was some of the, the, the bits and pieces. Uh, it was quite early on, I think, that he was saying about um, you know, how different cameras impact on different, you know, different cameras lend themselves to different styles. And that's what you're saying, essentially, isn't mm -hmm. it? If, you're, if, you, if you love the work of Bresson, then why don't you shoot everything with a Leica? Mm. I suppose the, the answer to that is it's sort of wrapped up in that kind of thing that I'm talking about that different cameras lead you to shoot in different ways. Mm -hmm. um, but also because it just naturally happens, doesn't it? I mean, I, that, the, I always think of the, uh, I can't remember the details. I know you'd have to read my review, but the, the Petri color 35, mm -hmm. it just, it works in such a way that and just read the reviews i go into quite a lot of detail it works as it works as it works in such a way that you just have to shoot it in a certain way 
And of course, I think that has to impact on the style of the photos or the type of photos you take with it. I mean, just in really simple terms, it would be, you know, if your style was entirely ultra shallow depth of field um, portraits, you'd be daft to shoot with a, uh, a camera that relies on zone focusing. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's extreme, of course. Right. Um, but, but yeah, I think rangefinders have that kind of weird um, sort of ability to show you the photo that you're not taking, if that makes any sense. Right. Uh, so mm-hmm. you, you know, you look through the viewfinder, especially with the, the longer, you know, sort of 50 mil lenses, 35 mil and 50 mil lenses, you know, provided you're not a glasses wearer. You know, you, you you look through the viewfinder and you can see what's coming into the frame. And if you, you know, some of them, you can have both eyes open. Um because the, you know, if it's a one-to-one viewfinder, you can look at the whole world around you and then just have, and you can see things as they come in. And as I say, take the photo that, you know, exclude things and include things. And I think that definitely impacts on style. And it also, because you can't see, um, because you can't see depth of field when you look through the viewfinder in the same way as you can with an SLR. And, and with SLRs, you know, certainly modern ones or more modern ones. Um, sorry, cat is about to jump off the cabinet behind me. <laughs> I don't know if you saw yeah. it on the screen. That, that cat's um, been up there for a while. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, SLRs, they, they, they're so, you know, they, they, the way they work is that they show you an image that's at the lens's widest aperture. Mm-hmm. So they tend to lend themselves more, I think, to shooting You know, to see, you have to press a button. You know, you have to press a button that makes the image go dark with a mm-hmm. proper SLR to see the, right. the true depth of field of the of the aperture that you're shooting at. So they're much more. They, I think SLRs push people more naturally towards images that are more about depth of field, mm-hmm. be it shallow or broad. Right. Whereas with rangefinders, I mean, ironically, I shoot you know a lot of shallow depth of field stuff with my rangefinders, but you have to imagine the image with a rangefinder. And I think because you have to imagine the image, the, the, the depth of field with a rangefinder, that definitely impacts on how you choose to shoot. Mm-hmm. Um, I have an article about viewfinder cameras, I think. I can't remember what it's called now, where I talk a lot about... Uh, in fact, I, there's an SLR article. I wrote a series about the Nikon... F seventy five, I think, and in that I wrote a, at the end of it, wrote a piece about not enjoying it as much as my rangefinders. Ironically, I'm enjoying SLRs more than rangefinders at the moment. But, you know, it's it, the, it's the interesting, and I know we're 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 almost we're almost out of time, but um, you know, it, it would be an, it's analogous to what you're saying essentially to you know a, a film director who is on the set who uses a, you know, a director's glass so that they can yeah. see framing and depth of field and a contrast viewing filter, which essentially allows them to see changes in contrast and range and things like that. So we need, we use cameras as a way of sort of emulating reality. Um, and that is a conversation obviously for another time because it can go down a completely different path. Um, but I'm going to stick to um, our hour here. And um, 
I just want to say that this has been really interesting talking to you. Fascinating, actually. Um, no, I wasn't kidding when I said I listened to every episode of the hypersensitive oh, uh, podcast. Mean. People might go and listen to it if you name it. I don't want to be down with people listening to that rubbish. <laughs> it's, um, you know, and what I, I, I enjoyed it for a lot of reasons. Uh, obviously, I enjoyed it for the photography, but I also enjoyed it because I thought that um, the ideas and the concepts were relevant. Um, and the perspective that you and M had on, on, um, timely issues, um, in a way I felt, um, encompassed the notion of photography in a way, even though they, they were not directly about photography. And I thought that was very interesting. So, yeah. um, you can, uh, if you, if you, uh, speak to him, you can relate that to him, uh, tell him he's, he's got a big fan. What can I say? Um, but um, um, it's been really a pleasure having you on um, the ephemeral machine. Um, yeah, no, thanks for having me. Uh, I'm glad that you were able to take the time and join me. And um, I guess we'll just, uh, you know, come back with more from uh, the ephemeral machine. So thanks, Hamish. And take care. And we're back, and you're listening to The Ephemeral Machine, a podcast about collecting cameras. Now, speaking with Hamish was really interesting, and I appreciate his candor and insight. I realized that during our conversation, I occasionally and gently forced him away from the, quote, notion of photography, that is, the exploration of the relationship between camera and photographer, to an acknowledgement of the camera as a discrete element capable of an existence that is functionally tied to what it represents rather than its ability to represent. This distinction may not be completely clear, but to me it is the basis of my understanding of the photographic apparatus. I was grateful for the opportunity to explore some of these mediations with Hamish, and I welcomed his open-minded perspective and guidance. His experience as a photographer and liaison between us and the comprehensive world of 35MMC offers us an ideologically refreshing stance. I look forward to the possibility of engaging with him again. Thank you, Hamish, for taking the time to visit us here on The Ephemeral Machine. And that brings us to the close of this particular episode of The Ephemeral Machine, and I thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed a conversation with Hamish Gill. Uh, remember, if you want to contact me via email, uh, you can do so at theephemeralmachine at gmail.com. I welcome your observations, your thoughts, your um, suggestions, insight, anything that you feel you want to uh, write about. And please visit us uh, at the Instagram page for The Ephemeral Machine, where we post images of cameras, uh, lots of different um, vintage gear, um, and I also post the uh, relevant images that tie the particular um, uh, content, the relevant content to the specific episode of the podcast um, that happens to be current. Um, so please check us out again at our Instagram page. That's the ephemeral machine. And I thank you for listening and I appreciate your time. 
And uh, thank you uh, again to Hamish for stopping by and visiting with us today. And that takes us to um, the end of our, our episode. And I wish you well. And I will look forward to seeing you on the next episode of The Ephemeral Machine. Thank you.